All right, everybody, welcome to the Parlay Podcast. Special guest today, we have Maya Solderholm, correct? I pronounced that correctly? It, it's Söderholm. There's Solder. no L in it. Yeah, Söderholm. Maya Söderholm, if you want to get like super, super specific. Oh, well, if that's the way you pronounce it, that's the way I would like to try. Is it, it's that roll of the tongue, eh? Yep, yeah, Söderholm. Söderholm. <laughs> from Finland, correct? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, but I was I was obviously born in London, England, and that's why the accent is not Finnish. Yes, so, but yeah. well, that's pretty cool that you still you still you speak Finland, uh, Finnish. Yeah, I do. It was the first language I learned when I was a kid. Like my mother spoke Finnish to me at home. Um, my both my parents were from Finland. They just happened to meet and marry in London, and uh, so that's why I was brought up. But I have my Finnish is super rusty. I can understand very well. Um, I can speak okay, but I speak very colloquial Finnish. It's not like accurate. Like I, I speak kid Finnish. Yeah, I that's, can get by, but you know. That's, that's how I am when I speak Portuguese. Like I can speak Portuguese to anybody and they'll understand me. But if I speak from somebody from the mainland, it's just, it's a mess. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, listen, I, I, I'm so happy you're here today. Um, you're quite the interesting person. There's a lot of layers to you. Um, I guess the first one I'd like to kind of touch on is, uh, you know, your martial arts experience. You've been in martial arts for 20, 20 years, more than 20 years. Oh, let's see. Well, um, I fenced for a few years when I was a kid, so maybe that counts. I'm not sure. Um, I did some foil fencing when I was about nine through 13 before wow. I became a teenager and then kind of gave all that up for more exciting adventures and um, goofing off. Um, <laughs> then um, I took martial arts up again in, I'm, I'm fairly old, so I've actually had time to do martial arts for a long time. And I started back in 1986. So I've wow. been doing martial arts for that long. I won't say I was serious at that point, um, um, but that's when I started doing internal martial arts. I was actually um, working out at a gym in the UK and it was a powerlifting and sort of a powerlifting gym. You know, it was one of those sort of old school places in a labor club, like in the basement. It was all kind of free weights and everything was a little bit rusty and damp, of course, because it's the UK. But I would always go work out really early in the morning and there was always like just like the same crew in there in the mornings when I would go. And there was this one guy and he's uh, he's doing like arm curls or something. And I'm like, Jerry, what are you doing? You're doing them so interestingly, so differently from everybody else. Because what he was doing was like he was standing in a very particular posture and he was doing very slow and very slow reverses. Right. This is like 1986, 1985, 86. And um, and he's like, oh, I started to go to a Tai Chi class and I'm using the principles in my weight training. And this guy was a natural bodybuilder. He was amazing. This guy could flex any tiny muscle on his body and just go, oh, the intercostals, you mean these? You know. <laughs> uh, and uh, he was great. He was a real aid to me. But I was like, oh, well, that sounds interesting. I'll go check it out. So that was my first exposure to it. And I kind of got hooked. And so I started internal martial arts about then. Um, wow. I moved it to the States in the early 90s, and I probably started seriously training in 95 um, until now. So, yeah, that long. <laughs> where, did, where did the love and the passion come in for the uh, the weaponry? I have no idea. Um, everybody asked me that. Uh, you know, we could talk about past life experiences maybe. I'm not sure. but uh, Whatever you like. Uh, ever since I was a kid, I wanted to be Errol Flynn. You know, that, that was, you know, Captain Blood, Robin Hood or the swashbuckling movies, The Three Musketeers. Like that's where my parents took me to fencing class in the first place, because I would wow. steal steal these all the cutlery out of the drawers and I'd run around the house with knives and stuff. 
probably medicate you if we did that nowadays, eh? Right? You know, and so they so they took me to four fencing class, and I just loved it. You know, uh, it, I, and I've always had that thing for for the weapon arts. You know, and it's always what's attracted me most. You know, I don't know. So, so how did you meet uh, GM uh, Sunny? And so Sunny, yes, everybody knows that Sunny. The, the, the most people know about Sunny is it was massively reclusive, right? So, getting to train with him was really difficult. He was a very paranoid dude. Um, he had a, his house was booby trapped, and you were not allowed to tell anybody his address when you trained with him. Um, but really? yeah, yeah, you couldn't tell. Yeah, you know, you you could take people to see him if he said that was okay, but you never turned up at his house without phoning first. You never just went and knocked on his door, you know. So he 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 was he was a interesting man. Anyway. Um, my Bogwa teacher at the time was training with him and there was one of those TV VCR combos in the school and he had this, because Sonny would video all his students, that was part of his training methodology and there was this, you know, video playing of Sonny moving around with the sword and I was just like, oh my goodness, it's like all my life that I've been doing martial arts, my whole martial arts career, that's what I've been looking for. I was like, that's it. I want to learn how to do that. I wow. want to know how that man does that. And um, so, so my teacher at the time was teaching us some of the basic footwork and some of the basic blade angles because that's what he was learning. So he was kind of sharing a little bit. And he invited Sonny to come and do a seminar at his school, which was fairly unusual. Sonny didn't like doing seminars close to home. He liked to do them very, very far away. And... Um, I tried to make a really good impression, right? Because I was like, I really want to train with this guy. And so I got a friend of mine who worked in a sheet metal shop to fabricate some training yeah. blades because I'd heard he was really, really into making his own training tools. Yeah. And um, so I was like, this is going to be a great excuse to talk to him after the seminar. I'll make some training weapons of my own and show that, you know, I'm into it, right? Because I hate going and talking to teachers after class because everybody asks such stupid questions and you feel like <laughs> such a fanboy, right? Yeah. I mean, it's just like, oh, I want to stand next to somebody dangerous. You know, you don't want to look like a complete uh, idiot. So um, I made these, these the, I fabricated these training blades and I, you know, went to him, oh, thank you very much, Sonny. That was a really amazing seminar. You know, I just thought I get get a bit of your advice. I made these training blades. What do you think? Mm. So that was my sort of sneaky entry, Smart. and he said to me, "Oh yeah, you know these great blah 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 blah." No, yeah, your angles, your angles are really sharp. If you want to come and train with me, that would be okay. Just get your teacher to bring me. So that was my. Um, that was your in. That was my invitation. Yeah. <clears throat> So when you started training with him now, how did you find his training methodology with regards to the weapon differ from your fencing? And what about his uh, teaching? Um, did you did you realize like this is yes, this is somebody I want to stay in and, and train with? I like the way he teaches. Or well, it turns out, I mean, his training methodology is completely different to anybody else's. Um, it, I think when he started out, he used to be much more. I'm not going to say traditional because I think he actually teaches in a very old traditional way, like backyard style, um, but not in a school format, which he had been doing for a while. He had like a curriculum with combinations and, you know, patterns and stuff like that. And by the time he started teaching me, around that same time, maybe a year or two earlier, he'd started this thing called Random Flow as his teaching methodology, which is basically you're just always moving and everything's happening not in real time, like maybe, you know, it's happening slower and a little bit more controlled, but you're basically thrown in at the deep end and given context first. 
and with the idea that everything becomes obvious when you're doing it in context. So random flow isn't sparring. So it wasn't like you're directly sparring all the time. Because, you know, if you don't know anything, like say you're playing tennis, right? If you play tennis against a pro and they just keep serving aces at you, you never learn anything. So mm. it's a little bit like playing tennis with somebody that's sort of aiming things at you so you can hit them back and then making it more difficult for you to hit them back. Does that make sense? So, technology. yeah, uh, you know, and I think for me, it worked great. It was one-on-one. -on -one. Um, every time I left, it felt like my fingers had been stuck in the electric outlet and my hair was standing on end. And I was like, I have no idea what happened in that class. I have no <laughs> idea what happened in that class. It's like, I have no idea if I'm getting any better. I don't know if I learned anything. I've got to learn how he does that. I got to learn how he does that. So it, it, my personality suited it. I don't think it necessarily suits everybody else because I'll, I'll probably be honest in saying that for the first four years, I had no idea whether I'd learned anything. Wow. And his format for teaching, was it usually one-on-one -on -one or did he have small groups or how did that work for, for the training? Well, it was a combination of both. So I went a couple times a week um, and one of the sessions usually was me, me and somebody else, me and maybe two people. And then one of my days was Sunday that I would go and there would often be a time when I was on my own, but then people would start to filter in. So the method was he would focus on a concept or a weapon manipulation or something, you know, some some principle. And first you'd try it alone. Um, he, he was a big fan of like hanging pendulum targets. So he had a lot of training gear. So you were trying this thing and then you had it in motion and then you, then you, you know, tried it with people. <clears throat> and then you kind of put it more into kind of free play and then, you know, with everybody else in the room. So he'd round robin. Oh, that's cool the t technique with everybody else that was there so <clears throat> because he was really good it was impossible to fake him out it was impossible to like pull pull one over on him right so all the things they teach you about how to manipulate people and how to bait and fake and use rhythm and stuff he could read from a mile off so you needed to pr practice what he could do on you on other people so that you could then own it you know, you could find the correct timing. You could find, you know, how quickly you needed to retract your cut into a block before getting nailed. Because unless somebody's trying to hit you, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, it's totally different vibe, uh, energy. Yeah. Now, the style that he taught is corto cadena e largo mano escrima. Okay, so it's Visayan style, corto cadena and larga mano escrima. That's okay. the full name. Yeah. And and. And is this more of a sword-based or a stick-based art? Well, he started off mostly doing stick, but by the time he trained me, it was 90% sword, maybe 85% sword. Um, because he said that the sword is the primary weapon, and if you understand sword, you understand everything else. So what sword gives you, and he, he wasn't specific about this, but this is kind of what I've realized um, you know, over the years, is that if you use sword, you make the highest risk versus reward kind of ratio that there is. Um, mm. And you take power out of the equation and you take size to a certain extent out of the equation. You take reach out of the equation. You take a whole bunch of stuff out of the equation that now you don't have to deal with. So it forces you to sharpen all your accuracies, like your understanding of range has to be perfect. Your understanding of timing has to be perfect. Um, 
you have to use all your deceptive skills to create openings you know it, it, it's like if i'm big and strong like if i was like your size you know it's like if you're a big strong dude right you know you can just kind of take a few blows with empty hand or even with stick no. you know and still kind of kind of crash in and get the hits but in sword you know you don't take cuts because the thing you have to also remember is this is not a European armored system where you're in armor with heavy clothing on, like which is more of a kind of a bashing system. You know, a lot. You know, those big swords are often not yes, sharp, and they're only sharp at the tip, right? So there's a lot of beating people to the ground and then stabbing them. The Philippines is a very hot country. You know, nobody's wearing that much. They're in sandals. You know, thongs, right? You know, like flip flops and and t-shirts or maybe nothing. And so. And the other thing that, that, that I think is also interesting very specifically about the Filipino style is that you have this lethal weapon, this sword, but the, the metal is really shitty. So if you use it wrong, it breaks. So you have this horrible situation where you're facing something lethal with no clothes on. And if you use it wrong, it breaks. Wow. That's never, yeah. The, I mean, the terrain and the, where it comes from plays a huge part. Enormous part. Yeah. And yeah. so we also did cane, um, like old man style, like Largo style. I mean, there was every weapon that you want to think about. There was latigo, there was whips, uh, throwing knives, empty hand, um, a lot of sikaran, the kicking stuff. I'm sure you've seen that on YouTube. Um, single stick, double stick, double sword, sword, espada daga. You know, like everything is in, is in there. But because what he was really teaching was a way to manipulate people, you know, the sword is first, then everything else layers on top of that. And of course, the difference with um, stick fighting is one, you don't have to be quite as careful. You can take some hits, maybe, and you need some power. And so sword is also interesting, like I said, because it's the only weapon that literally I don't need to do anything and I can just walk towards you with. It only takes motion. It takes no effort. Yeah, well, that makes total sense. And you know yeah like like you say you can't you can take a shot you can't be taking too many cuts you know <laughs> well i mean I, I i've argued with that um with people with that you know one of the things that you get off a lot of people that are very resistant to the idea of that is oh i'd take that cut is is one of the big ones oh i'd take that in return it's like well i killed you i'm like yeah but you're disemboweled yeah you know and it's like yeah sure and that's okay if the job is to kill the other person for some reason but if you die too is that really a win no. and you know maybe in some situation but even you know the super duper special forces only do it so everybody else can get home you know like there's a real big reason why you're willing to kind of die in battle right it's not you shouldn't take that lightly and if you're training you know should you really be okay with that you know like that's that's the highest level you've got no. You know? no i'm going to show you a picture i, I think oh here it is so <laughs> this is from this book um, I put this in here. I asked a, um, a marine medic friend of mine to, to show me some knife wound pictures that I could put in the book. Yeah. And I didn't. Okay, so uh, trigger warning for those. Um, there we go. Um, this is the least weird, horrible one that I could find. It's like I take that hand cut. It's like really. Yeah. It's like let let's you know how about you want to use your hand again afterwards. That's, so that's just, that's just <laughs> ego talking. But being a, I mean, I, 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 me personally, like I, I've done the uh, like, I guess you can say, 
competed or fought in, if you would call that, in a dog brother style. Uh-huh. One thing I've noticed for sure is when I when I train with the stick, uh, when I fought with the stick, yes, I was careful because I didn't want to get my arms uh, broken. But I, I did find that just by the nature of when I sparred with the knife, just for the nature of the knife, the idea of the knife, that if this was real just that touch i don't want that it made me play a different game altogether and i'm not talking about now i'm talking about when i first started and had even like because i just i kind of was the guy that just like i still don't know names of techniques but i can do them but that's just the kind of person i am i just jumped in the pool right and just just at a base level like that my footwork and my strategy was much different because of the idea of what i was working with Ah, very smart. I fought at Dog Brothers also one year. I did knife at Dog Brothers one year. It's it's different. Yeah. It's very well, different. the one thing I learned from that it was the year when we had shock knives. It was like 2008, I think. 2007, maybe. That that, that was when I went down to LA and fought at the gathering. And um, they had shock knives, but it was really funny because they didn't really know what at the time what they would do to your metal masks or anything like that. If they would short out, so it was some sort of mildly like, this is going to be exciting. Um, what I realized with those um, is that once you take one cut, you don't care. It's, it's just annoying. I think they're really useful tools for understanding how much you will get cut, like say you're trying to do some rid- ridiculous disarm or something. So they're good instant feedback loops yeah. but they're not going to stop you from being stupid no my favorite <laughs> my favorite use of the shock knives really is um when i am trying to do a disarm if i am trying to work a disarm like you say you get that feedback oh that would have been a cut there because people think that oh i just put my form to the flat side of the blade and it's no problem but it, that's not how it works but really only have to use it. <laughs> yeah just change slightly what i really like use the shock knives for is when i'm uh I, when i grapple so I'll, you know we'll do we'll grapple yeah. jiu-jitsu something and say okay and you know how you do like a shark tank but we don't know who has the shock knife so right. you're doing grappling and then the blade comes out now you have to adjust your jiu-jitsu that's yeah. where i find it that's where i find it most uh efficient but going back to to the sword play versus the stick how does now how does that now because for me, I'm still kind of playing here with this idea, but the espadia dagger, right? Like, I like to keep, um, I like to keep my blade in the fall, and like I could have a false lead when I have a blade, but when I do espada dagger, I like to keep my blade in the front and my stick in the back, and that just works for me. That could be totally opposite of what you're supposed to do, but it works for me. But how does that now the relationship of both weapons and the interplay with each other with regards to footwork and strategy work um well there's the thing right it's like i don't think there's any should about it um if i have my weapon out all the time in the front and i'm guarding why would you ever enter if i'm not controlling when you're going to do something i'm already slightly at a disadvantage like i'm going to be surprised so i need to kind of puppeteer the situation to to make you do things sunny would play blade low like along the top of his legs a lot of the time or really wide you know, out, you know, because he wanted to invite people in. He's like, here's the door, you know, please, you know, it's like he, he would make people offers they couldn't refuse, but it would always be a setup. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah, so, absolutely. It's, it's uh, attack by draw. Yeah. So what you should and shouldn't do is completely dependent on what the other person's doing. Mm-hmm. If the other person is staying back and you're both kind of just going by luck, if you like, you know, your odds are not that good. It's one of the things I write in my book. 
um, that most people don't think about. It's not 50-50. You know, you don't have a 50-50 chance in a blade fight. I mean, if, let's see, we've got, if you've only got two people, there's four options, right? Win-win, which is we both walk. You know, there's win-lose, lose-win, but there's also lose-lose. And so you only really have, you know, if you take away the, the, the you both walk away part, you only have one chance in three of, of like prevailing. And so you've got to up your odds as much as possible. And that's going to depend very much on what the other person's doing. If they don't want to enter, you're just like, all right, well, maybe I don't have to deal with it. Or maybe you're like, I do have to deal with it because I see his friends are coming from behind. And so I'm going to enforce the interaction so that I can control it. You know, sometimes if somebody's running to, towards you, you, you want to stick your blade out and be all like, no, no. Stay back. Yeah, <laughs> you know. So I guess these are the teachings and, and these are the lessons that you acquired, uh, which led you to write your, I believe, was your first book, The Liar, The Cheat, uh, and The Thief? Yes. Awesome. Available on Amazon. So, so I, I know that it was in reference to the martial arts, but also, from what I understand, it's not really just about... Uh, using that concept for the martial arts. Can you speak to me a little bit and to everybody listening on how you how you use those principles and apply it for, for anything? Well, I mean, my big insight from training with Sonny, and honestly, he did change my view of the world. Um, after having trained with him for the time that I did, it felt like somebody had taken a bag off my head and said, you know, what do you see now? You know, the world looked completely different. And... There is no martial art without an enemy. You can't do it without there being a threat. It's like the reason why you're doing everything is because another human being, at least until the aliens arrive, is <laughs> opposing you and you're saying no, right? I mean, it's like you need a human being as an opposing force to do martial arts. And everything's so much about technical stuff and, I, you know, the second book probably is a better kind of big picture book. The Lie, the Feet and the the cheat and the thief has it's more kind of like um i mean it has the concepts it's the same book in a lot of ways it's just a slightly different way of looking at things is that everybody in martial art classes always assumes they've already won it's like when your opponent does this do this thing you know and if if anything maybe the first thing doesn't work which means you switch and you do the next thing right like that's how it's sort of trained it's never talking about why did they throw a number one at you why did they caveman at you? What made them think that they could hit you? Mm. You know, it's like obviously they thought they could. So, which is why they tried. It's like, okay, so how far back can I influence an interaction? You know, you know, if you think about real life self defense stuff, for instance, there's a moment where somebody thinks that they're going to take you on, yeah. right? And it's like the earlier that you see that moment, the more control you have of it. Yeah, most people aren't even aware they're uh, potentially in a fight until they're actually the physicality portion of it starts and not understanding the, the cues and the flags prior to it. Yeah, and I know everybody's all like action over reaction. You need to be acting and not reacting. It's like technically you're always reacting because if there wasn't a threat, you wouldn't have to do anything. So you're reacting because there's a threat. So you're doing the thing. It's like, okay, why does a threat think they're going to win? Because that's how you have to start is a threat already thinks they're going to win. Your opponent already thinks they're going to win, you know. Yeah. So if they already have that impression of you, how do you dissuade them of that? 
how do you maybe use that fact that then they think they're going to win against them so you can take advantage of them? Do you see what I'm saying? It's like I'm, I'm manipulating the, the relationship between us much more than I'm worried about what I'm doing. You know, the, the, the step one is intel gathering. It's like I'm learning as much as I can from all my opponents. I'm, I'm learning about them by how they walk, um, what they're looking at, you know, where we are, you know, what culture am I in? You know, what's the situation? Do they have friends? You know, there's, there's a whole bunch of other stuff that plays into who, who people are. And there's not that many different types of people. I mean, I'm sure you found it and it would be interesting to compare notes on that, but there's aggressive fighters and counter fighters, right? I mean, it's like those two are big main camps, huge generalizations, but you can usually, you know, yeah. put one in, you know, one or the other, right? And between that, now you already got like your tactics depending on which side of that you are, right? Uh, you know, you fight aggressive fighters in a certain way and more counter fighters in a different way. And you can, I usually assume people think that I'm weaker and foolish and I, I'm easy to kill. So I approach every interaction in that way. And my only real job is to make my opponent predictable, right? Mm and for me to be unpredictable. So I either give them exactly what they think they want to see and use that against them, or I confuse them by giving them something they didn't expect. Which now makes them have to think and they're not in the moment. Yeah, exactly. So now their whole train of like, oh, this is going to go like this, you know, goes a different way and they have to reset. And you have to remember that Sonny's system was interesting is that in that there was a lot of shit talking, you know, I, I can talk to you. It's not just about weapon manipulation. It's about how I set up my body, like the way I look, what I do, if I smile or not, what I say, you know, everything is part and parcel of it. So that's why I called it the liar, the cheat and the thief and also then the hustler because the role model for this system is you want to be the pickpocket. The successful pickpocket gets in and out and the other person doesn't even know they've been robbed. Mm, yeah. Like my job is not to kill, my job is to not die. You know, if you wanna have like a a simple way of looking at the system, it's basically, you know, one of the things Sonny said to me, and I, I wrote the quote in the book, but it basically said it's like um like we're talking about blades here. It's it's not hard to kill somebody. And this is not psychologically. This is just like, all I have to do is walk towards you and put the knife in. He's like, there's no skill there. There's no art in killing. He said, but there's also no art in dying. He's like, I don't even need to practice that. <laughs> He's like, that'll happen before you even, you know, you realized it was happening. He says, the art is in the living, in the getting in the way, getting away in the going home. So the whole system is, is based on that premise. <clears throat> and the first training kind of um, imperative, if you like. I'd always go and say, Sonny, what's the focus today? He says, don't get hit. Everything that I do, you know, do not get hit, whatever that is, right? Wow. And that does, you know, and so it's like, okay, run away is not getting hit. Avoiding the conflict is not getting hit. Um, blocking and parrying and not letting you get one in on me is not getting hit, but knocking you out is not getting hit, seeing as you can't hurt me. Or, you know, lethal force is not getting hit. Like, it's all not getting hit. You're just doing it what you need to do. I like that. It doesn't matter which route you take to the objective, just get to the objective. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, another one that I've used as a sort of a, kind of like a parallel idea is basketball. 
So, you know, all the guys that are duking, it's like, I, I always think of the ball as your life. And then there's all these threats that you have to get around. It's like the win is to get, you know, get the ball and the hoop, right? Yeah. It's not to kill the other people necessarily. It's to get by. So whether you use your evasion and motion, you know, it, it, there's a reason why you're, you, you are participating in this interaction. And that reason is you want to go home. <clears throat> Did you ever feel like you had to uh, work um, harder um, when, you know, sparring or training uh, with certain men and their ego? Oh yeah. How did you get over that? Because for many, for many female, any female listening to this, who feels that way, uh, you know, and doesn't know how to deal with it, I think it's important to hear somebody who's been successful at it. Uh, speak oh, up. Uh, okay, so I have two things. The first one, which I learned in Bagua class, actually after training with Sunny, um, but it, you know, was that if you go to a seminar and nobody wants to work with you, I mean, like I'm of the era where most seminars that I ever went to was like all guys and me or me and maybe one other woman, right? And everybody's like, okay, pair up and give this a go. Nobody wanted to work with me. I was like, oh, fuckers. You know, or else you get somebody that looks super bored or else they're like, they have no control, you know, one or the other. <clears throat> and um, I realized after a while that they ignore the small men too, that most people go to seminars to look impressive in front of the teacher. They don't really care about getting better. And so they're going to pick a partner that is just as big as them, that when they do the technique, they're going to look really good because they pulled it off. There is no status points in hitting a woman. There's no status points in throwing somebody my size, right? It's like, fuck the technique. It's just about kind of looking good. So that's one little thing for women to sort of keep in their mind when they do that at seminars. The other one is um, Sunny taught me one of the most valuable lessons ever. Um, and it's a story I also tell in the book. It's called The Ringer. And um, Sonny would often get people coming up from or into town from up from L.A. or from other places to train with him, right? Like somebody would say, Sonny, you know, there's this guy that really wants to meet you. Is it all right to bring him by? It's like, oh, yeah, sure. So after I've been going for a while, he, he would say to me, oh, yeah, yeah. So there's this guy coming up from L.A. on Saturday. And then he'd leave this long pause. And it took me a little time before I realized that my job was then to say, oh, do, do, do you want me to come by? And he'd be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Why don't, why don't, why don't you come? So, all right. And um, I, I'd like, what time? He'd give me a time and I'd turn up. And he'd always give me a time that was earlier than when the dude was going to show up. So by the time the guy showed up, you know, I'm sitting on the couch or something and Sonny's waiting for this guy. Guy turns up. Hi, you know, pleased to meet you, Maestro. And he'd go, no, 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 just Sonny, just Sonny. And uh, he'd be on his best behavior and sign to be up, blah, blah, blah. And this is Maya. And of course, guy looks over at me, chick on the couch, right? Yeah, hi. Completely ignoring me, you know, getting on with Sonny and stuff. And I'd just sit there and um, Sonny would like move around with the guy a little bit, give him some basics. Like, oh, let's flow a little bit. You know, show me some of your entries. You know, don't kill me too quickly, right? So they'd move around. Guy would be trying to make a good impression, so they'd be doing that for like 15, 20 minutes or something. Then Sonny would be like, oh, I really need to smoke. Sonny was a... Uh, chain smoker and he said i'm just going to step out and have a cigarette like he's like by the french doors to his patio right so what maya why don't you flow with you know dude for a while it's like, all right so i'd be kind of mimicking whatever he was doing and the guy was like on his best behavior and then suddenly he'd kind of go <laughs> <laughs> and he'd give me a little bit of like you know let's let's spice it up a little bit so i'd start I'd, i wouldn't speed up or anything but i'd start to actually tag him and I'd keep tagging his hands, I'd keep tagging his arms, I'd keep tagging whatever part of the body I could go to. And uh, 
Sonny was watching the guy's reaction. Sonny was watching what the guy would do, how the guy would fail. Like that was the, that was the interview, was how do you fail? Wow. You know, you, you're in front of the guy that you're trying to impress and you're getting your ass beat by a woman. And it was funny because, like, and some guys never came back. <laughs> and um, it was funny because, you know, at first I was kind of a little bit pissed off and I'm like, damn it, you know? It's like he's totally using the sexism, you know, about their attitude towards me. And I was like, oh, my God, he's total genius. You know, he's manipulating the facts. And he was the first person that told me that being underestimated can be a superpower. Mm, and yes. so that lesson in itself was really, really good. Um, I write about it a lot in The Hustler, actually. So for women, I, I'd, I'd highly recommend reading The Hustler because... I think, you know, you get it in BJJ, right? You know, like, uh, there's women that are just as skilled as guys. Women could take out guys and oh, stuff 100%. like that. Absolutely. But when you get to something that's a bit more like MMA style, um, that has striking in it and stuff, it's like women can be as technically excellent as men and better, but they can take less damage. And that's the problem. That's the asymmetry. It's like, if I hit you as hard as I could, body shots or in the arm or whatever or you know maybe even got you good in the solar plexus maybe i could take you out maybe not right like there's certain targets on you that i would have to get and i would have to get them before you'd like decked me in pretty much any part of my body you know i bet you could break my ribs if you hit me hard enough and maybe i could on you too but the fact that uh, the, the asymmetry of the damage taking is so uneven if you like you know it, that's that's the difference between men and women is that women have to avoid taking damage way more than men do. Even men my size, are, are like you know, their muscle mass is different to mine, right? Yeah. So the way I have to fight and what swords gave me is I've leveled the playing field, you know, and I can hit you on any part of your body. I can I can cut your hand off. Yeah. You know, so it's given me a real insight, but. It also gave me a real insight into doing empty hand stuff about what which techniques would work for me and how I would have to approach it, right? Um, there's some people that I've played with, six foot four, completely fearless, built like brick shit houses, like they say in England. And I'm like, if that person gets hold of me, I'm dead. Yeah. I'm like, what the hell? So it started to make me think about that. It's like, what could I do? And actually the... Um, the best solution I came up with empty hand was Seelot doing some harimau and taking their legs out and knees and then running and making sure they couldn't chase me, you know, and, and I couldn't come up with anything else, but it, it, it focuses your mind onto what's sensible, not like, Oh, this totally works for a fit 20 year old, 200 pound dude. But you know, I'm almost 60, you know, I'm 58. All right, looking great. Well, thank you so much. <laughs> but, you know, you get injuries, you get older, you know. I start out at a disadvantage. So, you know, tactically speaking, what's smart for me? Well, I ask this because I have two daughters that um, I want them to train martial arts, but yet I don't want to be the dad that makes them feel like they're forced into it. Uh -huh. So really what their training is right now is I'm just play fighting with them. And through play fighting, you know, they attack me. I'll pick them up. I'll put them down. Uh, you know, I'll get on top of them and then they can't get up. I'm like, put your knees in, put your knees in, you know, feet on the hips type of thing. Um, one's more vicious than the other. <laughs> but uh, and then when I put a stick in their hand, like I, I get like the pool noodle type of thing. I'm trying to get my oldest daughter to 
um, learn some balinta walk so that she can actually selfishly, so she could, uh, you know, feed me so that I can practice and then in return feed her. But I think it's important for, like you say, that, you know, understanding that you can do whatever, you know, they can do, but there is a, there is a point in where you have to be conscious of, you know, the differences. Um, like for example, I think it's, um, you can see a female and a male, you know, have a fight or a duel in, you know, FMA and stuff like that. And it's fantastic to watch, but you know, you can't necessarily see the same thing in, in a boxing or, or tie boxing. Right. So it is something special about the weaponry because it's an extension of the body and that's not necessarily relying on just the body. Right. But now skill can be measured through the weapon. Yeah, no, I agree. And it's not to say that you can't prevail empty handed, but you prevail because it was unexpected and your accuracy was really good and your evasive skills were really good. You really understood range. You really understood timing. You understood the psychology and you took your moment. Right. It's like it's all possible. But having that awareness from a distance and being able to do that takes training. And I would also say as far as the weaponry goes, if it sticks, you know, you're going to have to start working on the targeting. You know, ankle bones are always there. They're always vulnerable. You can always smack them, right? But if I hit you real hard on the outside of your arms or even you know, like on your shoulders, you know, even on your back or your chest, it's like maybe they're not going to do anything, you know? So you got to be smart about that too. Yeah. Joints are where it's at. Joints are where it's at, exactly. <laughs> so it's got to be difficult now for females who are, you know, coming up in certain sports and stuff like that. And we don't have to get into that. You can because I can edit this out. But um, it's got to be difficult for females who are competing in sports that are not having, uh, let's say, transgendered people who are coming into the sport and actually causing a lot of physical damage. Um, I think it's personally, I think that is something that if you want to have a kind of a transgendered league, do that. But um, I think it's quite unfair to have. Uh, to have that uh, in the sports context. I don't know if you want to speak to that. Yeah, I mean, I have trans friends, and most of my trans friends look at the testosterone amount, and a lot of trans people have less testosterone than some women, right? So, you know, if you look at Olympic sports, women powerlifters are very different people than a high jumper, say, or a sprinter. You know, they all have different attributes and so they really want it to be mixed and everybody should play with each other I, I'm, I'm older so I have more old-fashioned values and I kind of agree with you I think the trans people should absolutely get to compete but just you know but I do think that you do have advantages because of the way you grew up just your bone density and your musculature that makes the taking damage part different Nothing to do with skill or ability or power even. It's the taking damage part that is actually slightly different. It's like you can harden your body up somewhat, you know. But like those Muay Thai fighters, those small Thai guys, you know, they can take all kinds of damage, but they also have very short careers as well, you know. Yes. So it's, it's not impossible, but they also have that, that um, upbringing as children where they're, you know, they're, they're – their testosterone is doing whatever it's doing or the male parts of your body are doing what they're doing to create like more muscle attachments you know that there's just sort of more going on so I, I I'm worried about it because I'm worried about a lot of women getting really really hurt and that's really the what what the important thing is here is yeah. the safety of the competitor yeah and and I think too one of the big 
the big fall downs with the whole competition thing, in essence, I think, is that they're blood sports. People do them because, I mean, all ring sports were invented so that soldiers off duty could bet money and like the citizens could bet money, right? It's like they're meant to be exciting and fun and and repeatable, right? You know, gladiatorial contests, I really see people die, but they're meant to be so that you can do them again and have rematches, but they're about money. Um, I was listening to an interview with Bernard Hopkins about how he never really got fights because he was boring, because he was a defensive boxer, right? And so you hear a little that about Floyd Mayweather too, right? You, you hear a lot about these defensive fighters that there's no blood, there's no hot, you know, they're too clever and it's boring, you know. And so that's the other thing that I worry about in real competitions is that the promoters aren't keeping their their fighters safe. You know, they, they actually really don't care that much if you have a short career, as long as they, they make money. And so again, you're at a massive disadvantage, you know, getting thrown in. It's like, yeah, you know, you'll earn a whole bunch of money fighting this trans fighter or whatever, because that's what we do. It's like they, they, they're not looking out for anybody's interests or longevity. I mean, how old was Hopkins when he won? He was in his freaking 40s, wasn't he, when he got that title? And it's because he didn't get hit a lot. <laughs> it's very sad because, like, like you say, it's it is. They're like basically they're like dogs in a dog fight, and they they all have their handlers. And yeah, not, not all of, not all people are being their best interests are being looked after. Do you find that females make better students than males? Um, I was when Sonny invited me to train with him. I asked, but he wouldn't let me start until my teacher took me. He, you weren't allowed to go until you know it was okay with your teacher or you were taken by somebody and my teacher refused because he said he doesn't teach women and i'm like he gave me an invitation but he refused to take me and nobody else that i knew would because he i was this other guy's student it took me two years one of those years i was away traveling so maybe it might have been slightly different but i was really pissed off it was one of the re reasons why i went away for a year and was traveling around asia and india and I came back and I wrote him a letter and I said, that sexist bullshit, you know, take me, you know, shut up. And he did <laughs> pretty much the next week, which was hilarious. So I went and there was no issue with it at all. Um, Sonny liked students that listened. And I think women make better dance partners, if you like, like yeah. they're better at following a lead and paying attention. So there's less ego. There's less like, yeah, but I got you too. I mean, I'm not saying that we're not aggressive and I wasn't stupid and I was always trying to get hits. I mean, I was like that too, you know, I was annoying. But I, I think I, I was better at moving around. Um, my footwork from Bagua really helped me in, in the Escrima a lot. And so my balance is better. I'm, you know, my pivoting is better. You know, I just basically have better body mechanics. Um, and yeah, I think women do make better students because they listen and they want, they understand on some level that their technique is what's gonna save them, not their brute force. But I think sometimes a, a school situation makes it really difficult because you're paired up with people that don't let you do the technique. So you never know how the technique's meant to work, right? Mm -hmm. So you either work with somebody that's not giving you anything to work with, or they just refuse to move or whatever. You know, it, it was... That's a fantastic point. I never really like. I mean, I'm sure I thought of it, but not the way that you're articulating it now. And that is really a, as a student, you know, not only do you have to work the technique, but you also have to learn how to extract the most out of your partner. Yep, um, you do. And that's a skill set in its own. 
it's like pad holding, right? It's like um, the pad holder's job is way harder than the guy hitting the pads. And I see that in exactly the same way with a partner. It's like if I give you the correct stimulus for this technique, it will work. Like every technique works somewhere, right? It's just the the moment in time where it's perfect to pull off, where they're there, you're here with your weight there, and they're just about to do this. That's why the technique works. And if you can't mimic that, the technique is meaningless. And that's actually, again, why Sonny wanted the random flow to be the training, because you need to practice the moment. You need to have it happen in time. Yeah. So in the flow of time, this thing happens, and you have made sure you're in the right place to take advantage of it. Or you're just so aware and you have it all in your body that it doesn't matter what happens. You're like, oh, well, if this happens, this is going to work. But if this happens now, this is going to work, right? So that you just feel it. You know, you're, you're connected in such a way that you're moving with the other person that, you know, you're leading what's going to happen next. It's all about setting people up, basically. Yeah, it's just finding the cadence and matching it, right? Like, I, and you're right, because I do a lot of hard sparring. Um, less and less as I get older and older, but it's there. Thank God I can still do it. But the the real the real um, lessons are learned in the flow. Yeah. The real lessons are learned because it is at a pace that it, it is at a pace where the body has to, you know, react. It gets to that uh, level of I guess some adrenaline or, or or real life energy, but it's at also at a pace slow enough where your mind has the ability to process and adjust mm -hmm. and feel and learn and not just. Because when you go fast, you know, you feel something, your body will do it, but it's it's doing it on autopilot. You're not necessarily understanding what you did and why. You just know that what you did worked, but you're not understanding what caused it to do that. And then when you go slower, you can actually quantify that and learn it at an intellectual level. Well, it's, it, I, can I disagree with you very slightly? I, sure. I think you have to happen, ha it has to happen at a realistic enough pace that you can use it at full speed right but you have to work at the level that your nervous system can retain like yeah. it can be in the moment it can actually focus on stuff because tactically what you want to see is you want to be able to change your mind as late as possible you want actually your opponent to commit to something that you can take advantage of but if you go first and commit to something then they can take advantage of you right so your job why you want to slow it down is to see how late you can suddenly you know, Pivot. yeah, like do something else. It's like, oh, I'm going to feed this, but no, I'm not going to do this, right? So your ability, your even your ability to weight shift just between those tiny increments of space is, is like a huge skill. 100%. You know, and so that's why slow, I think, is useful, but it has to also be, you know, you can't pretend that it's always going to be that slow because your eyes do have to recognize it at full speed too. Yeah. And not to say that you always keep it at that level, but it's important to also train at that level yes. because these people, especially males, and this is why I asked because I always found it easier for females to be okay training with this kind of template mm -hmm. uh, and not rush to always get to the next thing because you can do it slow. You can do it fast, but I also like, we also like doing it as you'll go slow and then just ramp up and then change speed, you know? So like try to, create that element of shock or surprise and have the body react and then go back to what that cadence was. But like, like I say, my point is that I always found it harder for males to want to do that, to slow it down and, and, and listen than, than it was for a female. And I honestly, I always enjoyed working with females at seminars, not because when I was single, some of them are cute. I just want to talk to them. <laughs> 
full disclosure, but also because of that, they are always much more, I always found them much more smooth. Yeah, they want to get it right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree with you. And I think that that's the real, you know, you notice it when you're in a martial art. Like the other thing I teach outside of a screamer is Bagua, right? And that's a much more traditional system. So we have applications and things. But if you have a multi-step application, so it's like one, two, three parts or something, everybody wants to do part three. You know, they just want the win at the end. You know, and they don't realize the only reason why part three works is because one happened and then you transition to two and three happen next. You know, it's like the point is not to get to the end. Yeah. You know, the point is the like the journey. It's the journey, not the destination, if you like. So when you when you when you're writing these books, and when you're writing your books and you're you know you're discussing this the deception and the different avenues to employ this, does that also mean that like for for deceiving somebody, you want to you know you just kind of move at for for an example, the best way I can describe it. Uh, in the UFC fight with uh, Masvidal, he came, he was very relaxed, leaning against the cage. And once the fight started, he kind of started coming in slow and then just changed and came with a flying knee. That movement as well, that deception of movement and uh, when you're moving your weapon on certain lines, the, the, the space or the way you move it. How did you, how do you articulate that to somebody in your book and how do you articulate that to a student? Uh, well, you know, the easy answer is to say time spent is like it takes practice. Um, everybody, I think, is very used to moving at constant speed in the martial arts. And really, it's all about acceleration and deceleration. Mm -hmm. And so to have that control, you know, between like, oh, I'm like, I'm suddenly like, I'm fast, but then I'm slower again, and then I can fast. It's like, you need as much body integration as one of those body poppers, you know, when you know, the dancers, you know, that, that are doing this. Because if you're really good, I can separate out the movement from my elbow. Like I can move my elbow without my hand moving and I can move my shoulder separately, right? And I can move all the different parts, you know. I, I could do like really sort of short moves and I can really do like long moves. Um, so I can change. I mean, it's one of the things I talk also about in the Hustler book um, and also the Lie of the Cheat and the Thief some is that sometimes you can't fight as yourself, right? It's like the reason why you're picking a rhythm to fight at should be because of who the other person is. Mm. Oh, I like that right and so you actually need some fighting personalities you know you, you you maybe want like a a kind of a fast wiggly sort of like shaky personality or you want something like slower you know you want all these different ways of playing and and what i found is that people are really embarrassed it's like telling somebody to dance like someone else like you know what i mean it's like we all dance like ourselves yeah, and it's yeah. really difficult to dance not like you and, and if you're predictable, like somebody's like, oh, yeah, like they always, they, they you know, they've got this thing going on. Yeah. It's like, oh, you know, you're totally easy to read. Yeah. And so big part of Sonny's work was mirroring. So why I learned was I would just watch him and I would like literally do everything he was doing. And that gave me a rhythm to follow. And then he'd do a different rhythm. And so then I'd follow another kind of rhythm that he was doing. And that gave me another one. And so now I have this like toolbox of all these different ways of moving that I can use. It's like a chameleon. Yeah, it's what, like a kind of a snake charmer, yeah. right? Like, like that—that—that's the point. It's like how much can I influence your movement, and how much can I make you predictable? Like you can tell most people's rhythms real fast. It's not that hard, you know. And people loop. Yes. <laughs> Unless have they're you, really, really good. Have you ever dealt with somebody who was very good at breaking rhythm, and how did you adjust? Um. 
it depends how long you have, obviously. I mean, you know, when you're flowing with somebody, this is why we flow is like, you know, Sonny's whole thing was like, you need to see, you need to experience and see as many different personalities and people as you can. So you can go, oh, you know, you start looking at the precursors for when that thing's going to happen. You know, you start looking at that intent where, they, where it's like a monkey that sees a piece of fruit and it really, really wants it. You know, you want to start to flash on all those things. We're like, oh, they're thinking about it. Mm. you know and then change something so suddenly they're not thinking about it anymore um you want to start looking at threes human beings always want to do you know combinations of three things you know and it's like this weird like the waltz um is a very human thing and so you can use all these basic things and if somebody's higher level sure they're super hard to read but then understanding that they're super hard to read suddenly makes you go oh this person's high level right so it's like all these things that work on the less skilled people I can throw out the window. All right, now we're working here, right? Mm -hmm. So again, anything will give you intel, even like no intel, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, because yeah, that's why I say <laughs> it's not win or lose, it's win or learn. Yeah. And those people will, will show you what the next tier is for you to aspire to get to. Yeah, I mean, my favorite fighter is Lomachenko, right? And how he fights. And his use of rhythm is just wonderful. I, I love it. And also his use of the pivot, which I'm yeah. a huge fan of too. Yeah, he's, he's, he, he's great at making angles. So finding who you are through the martial art, finding your rhythm, finding your style, or finding your cadence, did that now start to make you um, kind of help you develop on the weapons? Because you got into creating, to creating weaponry. Uh, creating knives and stuff like that. Are these all things you take into consideration when you start to design your your tools? Well, one of the things I love of Sunny, which is one of the most fascinating things, is that every weapon has a personality. It has a natural cadence because of its weight. It has a natural cadence because of its shape. There's different parts of the sword that you use because of the shape it is. So if you look at Filipino weapons design, it's incredibly sophisticated. They just have a myriad of different weapons, right? I mean, just call, kind of Google it. It's just mind boggling. And they're all different shapes. They're all different lengths. They're all different sizes. They all are balanced in a different place and they all have a personality. So the personality shows you what it's for, how it moves, um, how it recycles the energy, you know, is it a poking weapon? Is it a fast tipped weapon? Is it a heavy tipped weapon? Is it a slicing weapon? Is it a chopping weapon, right? It's like all these different things can come into blades that is, I mean, I've thought about doing a, a, a whole seminar just on sword usage, because I think it's the huge part that's missing from people's blade work. You can totally tell when people are stick fighters and then they put a sword in their hands because <clears throat> they use the sword like a stick and it, and it doesn't work like that. It, there's just so much more in swords um and so my love of them you know kind of came from this idea of what's it for what does it do right and sunny was given a lot of swords and you know by other people and he modified every one of them and the fascinating thing was when you put them all in your hand they were all balanced amazingly well even the heavy ones were easy to work with I was like, oh, that's really interesting. You're modifying these swords, so they work. It's like, all right, yeah. And he made his training blades the same way. So he wanted his training blades to look as close to the real thing as possible. And so it was from him that I learned the idea of blade design and what you could do with it. I've actually got one of his training blades right here that I'll show you. Oh, I'd love to see it. So this is a short panuti. Can you see that? Yeah. So it's like this tip, the fact that it, 
comes backwards a little bit. You know, this part on the back that kicks out, this piece on the front that kicks out, the shape of this handle, like where it's balanced, which is, you know, usually about here on this blade, gives you a whole bunch of information about this sword, like how it works with the back end, how you can hold it in your hands, you know, what you can, you know, how it moves in space. Um, gives this per blade personality. And he did this also with the short weapons. I haven't actually designed a sword yet because I still like his better than mine. <laughs> but I decided to design um, a blade. Oh, actually, uh, first I decided to design just one, which is the Vari. Um, and I don't have that with me, sadly, but I do have um, the Moika, which is the second one, which is this blade. Oh, that's nice. Um, so the idea is that, you know, you can roll this and, and do kind of fun stuff with it. Um, it's just sharp on one edge. Um, a lot of Filipino stuff is only sharp on one edge so that you can actually use the, you know, you can do stuff with the back and stuff. Um, but it is sharp on the tip a little bit on both sides. But again, you know, the design is absolutely inspired, you know, like inspired by him. And it was mostly because anything that I found online I didn't want to own. And so I decided to make my own. <laughs> <laughs> so I could carry them. Oh, I just want to show you this because this is really fun. My friend Jer Lindsay made this for me. Um, if you've ever seen Filipino sword scabbards, you'll know they're made out of two pieces of wood, usually just with string wrapped around them, yeah. because they have this, you know, even though you can pull them this way, they have this get out of jail free card where they actually turn, they pull out the side <laughs> as well. And so you can cut through the string and, you know, get somebody else. But yeah, so he made me this. It doesn't fall out. But you can see how here it slips out the end. <laughs> so what's your process when, when, you, when, you, when you start to sit down and say, okay, here I am. I'm going to create a knife. What's your process? Because honestly, I would love, I mean, I, I love to draw and I love blades. And, you know, I, but I'd like to, if I'm going to play with it, I need to understand the functionality and all these other components. What's your process to decide what it's going to look like? Mostly because nothing exists that I want. So that's pretty easy. So it's like, what do I want? Well, I want something that does this. What, I, what do I find satisfying about Sonny's blades, right? You know, it's like, well, the way they moved and the way they handled and they were so comfortable in the hand, you always knew where the edge was. They're very, they have a very special feel in hand. Um, and maybe that was it. It's like you look at photos of blades online and the photo doesn't tell you how it moves because you can't feel it. And mm. it's that putting it in your hand and feeling something, and you're like, yeah, okay, this, this is cool. Um, so I made it because it didn't exist. <laughs> what would you say are the best, uh, best three things or best three points that make a knife a good knife? Oh, well, it depends what you need it for. Uh, just a regular, everyday uh, tool. Um, really, again, depends on what you need it for, but I can tell you um, the theory a little bit behind what I designed is that I really like the idea that you carry the knife and it's the knife. It's the knife that does everything. My grandfather, um, who the Vari is kind of named after because Vari means um, grandfather in Finnish, uh, the Finnish knife, the Puukko, P-U-U-K-K-O, um, is very famous in Finland and it's like the knife. Back in the day where everybody walked around with knives all the time, this is the knife that you did because you went fishing, you went, you know, maybe game, small game hunting, um, you used it for cutting cord, 
um, you ate with it. You know, you just did all the stuff with your knife. You know, you didn't have like, oh, a special one of these and one of these, you know, it's nothing, it's like a generic working knife. Um, and so the Vari is made like that. It's got a really thick back, so it's a woodsman's knife, really. You can bang on the back of it with a hammer to split wood. Um, it, it's actually straight enough that you can throw it. Uh, it balances so you can use it like a Bowie knife. You know, that was one of the sort of inspirations too, was this sort of like 19th century Bowie idea that is just like the knife that you have. You know, you can still eat with it. I think there's a photo on the website of me slicing tomatoes with it. Um, <laughs> And this is a slightly smaller one. I mean, the other thing I would say to you when you're designing knives is that uh, very tiny differences make huge differences to the knife design. And when I designed the Vari, when it came out as big as it did, I really laughed because I didn't expect it to be that big a knife, right? I expected it to be about the size of this one, and it's bigger than this one. And so I was like, oh, my God, I've totally designed a dude blade. <laughs> <laughs> Um, just so you know, and I'm going to pimp this because it just tickled me so much. It's Barry Eisler, who's uh, wrote all the John Rain books, has also a series called Livy Alone. And Livy Alone is um, a woman from Thailand who emigrates, actually gets trafficked over to the United States. And um, she's a cop in Seattle. And um, I'm her knife teacher, and she carries a Vari. Oh, wow. Very cool. <laughs> I'll have to post some pictures of, uh, of that uh, afterwards when I edit that in. But... Yeah, I, I noticed it right away. I was like, wow, that's a fantastic, that looks, that looks like a nice, that weapon looks like it could chop through something very, very easily. Yeah, but so this one's, this one's smaller. <clears throat> so this one's more like my size, and this is why I kind of made it, because the Vari's, I gave the Vari to my husband. <laughs> he likes carrying that one. And I do, I mean, I did carry it for a while, but this one's more my, my, like, my body type for, like, usage and stuff like that. I like it, so... So with regards to the handles now, what what kind of handles do you, and I know you say it is, you know, depending on what the knife is for. So forgive me for my general question, but when you're looking for uh, a handle, if you're looking for something that you could use fluently, what kind of what kind of characteristics are you looking for as to, opposed to something that you're looking to like uh, chop or hack? Um, I want to know where the blade edge is. So if you actually look at Sonny's training blade here, it's very thin in this direction and much wider in this direction. So I, I always have a good idea where the edge is, right? So I can really control where, where the edge is. So I don't like round handles. Um, this one actually doesn't have it, but I usually like an indicator right behind the index finger where that is. And I like a little bit of a kind of a, an end as a stop. So those are my things. If you look at this one, I actually have a ranger band on here. This is like one of those, you know, uh, more survivally things, but there's an indent here. You see how it's real narrow? Yeah. So again, I always know where the, the handle is. It gets a bit wider here, but then there's this sort of little indent here at the end so that there's some kind of positive, um, like a stop, if you like, on it. So I like to know where the blade is when the blade's in my hand. You know, I want to know that it's not somehow slightly off. Does that make sense? Yeah. So it also has a thumb indent here on the back, so there's like a... Point that camera to the right. Do you have people? You have people like who, for example, say they like the they like the look of the actual blade itself, but they try to customize their handle to fit their own needs. Oh, they should. You know, I actually say that in the Vari. The Vari actually just comes with a skeleton handle and a wrap on it, or it sometimes, or it comes with my Carter scars uh, scales that you can take off. The whole point is that you should modify it to make it work for your hand. It's one of the reasons why I put the Ranger band on it. 
because I like that positive grip that it gives me. There's usually one that's around the back too, you know? Mm -hmm. And Sonny would always customize his handles. He would add little, even if it was like an elastic band, he'd tie around it or he'd kind of carve the handle so it fitted hand. I don't like finger holes. I don't like to be that specific on a handle, but I like, I like putting stuff on it or, you know, making it so it fits. It should fit your hand. Um, yeah. If you've got really big hands, the, the, the blade can be, you know, like fatter because it's got to be comfortable, right? Mm. It's like, so you should make it so it works for you. That is the point of the, of the Vari handle is that it is modifiable. Even this one, because it's wood, I would have no problem with somebody kind of, you know, if they wanted to make like a finger notch in here or something. No, I don't care. Add a landing on the back. There's a hole for it if you want to, mm. you know, it, it, make this more of an indent, cut the top off, whatever works for you. That's the point. Yeah, the knife should be unique to the to the person wielding it. Well, you, you should feel, you know, like there's all this superstition around swords. You know, there's a lot of weird stuff and where you have them hang in your house, like the antique. And, you know, if you go to Asian cultures particularly, they have a real respect for the swords, how they're displayed. You know, a lot of times there'll be like a shrine kind of thing around it because the blade can hurt you just as much as it can hurt somebody else. Oh, you know, there's um, a lot of superstitions, superstitions around blades that I think, comes from the idea that you have got to feel very comfortable with a live weapon, like a firearm. It's like, you've got to trust that this thing is on your side. And so you do everything so that when you take it out, it doesn't feel like a problem. Like you're not frightened of it. Mm. Does that make sense? You yeah. got to kind of own it. That's kind of like the warrior's way. Like I have a friend of mine who, uh, he's a very, very, He's an awesome martial artist. He invited us over to their temple and uh, they trained Gatka, so Indian martial art. And the way that they, the way that they respect their weapons, there isn't a way they pick up their weapons without first, you know, showing respect to it, picking it up, and they really treat it like it is um, something to have to be respected. And uh, that that's huge because you know a lot of places, you know. Uh, especially like here in, in North America, like you're learning a knife or you're learning a stick or like, let's just kind of like here, just take it and get right into it where the the history behind it, the respect for the tool, it's not really something that's taught as much as it should be. And I think once you taught that from the beginning, you kind of give value to what, you're, what it is you're working with and why it should be respected. Well, you know, just watch some old samurai movies and see how many people like draw their katanas and kill their the friend next to them. You know what I mean? Like, a, it, 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 it doesn't. It's an amoral object. It's the only weapon. The sword is the only weapon designed by human beings to kill humans. Purely. Mm. Does that make sense? It's like knives. You can do a whole bunch of other things with. You know, spears. You can get game. You know, arrows can kill game. A sword is people specific, you know? And so there's there's a real darkness to it. And you can see why a lot of like fantasy novels have this, you know, weapons that are magic and they have this darkness in them that like sucks your soul out every time you use it or something, right? And so you can see why when you're around them and when you touch them. And blades do have vibes. Do you know what I mean? Like um, if you can, if you're sensitive to it, you can put one in your hand and it like, Sonny had one that was given to him that there was this tiny little Chris. It's like super wavy blade. Oh, yeah. And it was um, an amazing metal. Like it had, it was kind of like I had splots on it. It was like dark with like these white like patterns on it. It was beautiful. Super old handle, very old blade. And he's like, what do you think of this? 
and the handle by the way was wood it was round and it had hairs sticking out of it like sticking outwards like into your hand when you gripped it like tiny little hairs really? and somebody said they were human hairs and i was like oh, yeah all right and um <laughs> I mean, it's a good grip, right? Even if it was bloody, it'd still have this real friction on there. And I pulled it out and I was just like, it felt like an incredibly beautiful poisonous snake. Like literally, you know, I, I had in my head some tropical snake and I was like, that's nice. I don't need to touch that ever again. Thank you very much. And he would keep it tied up with a scarf around the scabbard on the wall. You can see it in some of the videos. Wow. You know, and they do, they feel... You know, I've felt blades that were very sad, that are old, old blades from like the 1600s that had a deep, deep sadness to them. I've also felt um, blades that were super clear. They had like this clear ringing, like like very clear feel to them, like they were real positive. So it's kind of fun when you wow, have a chance to cool. play with stuff, yeah. I've never even thought about, uh, I don't think I've experienced that. I've never even thought about it that way. That's pretty That's pretty cool. So when you when you feel those kinds of blades, is that kind of does the, having that kind of ability to feel that does that help you um, kind of discover on what kind of weapon or blade you would want to use depending on how it, it's the synergy between your own personal vibration? Well, I think you know there's a style of blade obviously that you resonate with just because it happens to fit nicely with your physiology, like the length of it and the size of it. And again, a huge amount of stuff to talk about there that we don't have time. Um, in that most blades in the Philippines are are made to fit your body, like. They are the length they are because that's how long your arms are or how long your torso is, right? That, that's why they are how they are. So you've got a style that suits your personality and then you have, um, uh, you know, whatever it is. But then it's very specific. It has to be the individual blade and they're different from each other. I'll tell you one interesting story about that. Um, we went to a dealer, me and some friends, to have a look at some antique blades once. And um, a friend of mine who's also part Portuguese, interestingly enough, he pulled out this long pinuti, right, this long sword, and he pulls it out and he's like, oh my God, this feels really weird. This is like very, very weird to me. He's like, Maya, what do you think? So he gave it to me. I was like, I don't know. It feels, I don't feel really, I get anything off this sword. And if you turned it around, the handle, like this part of the handle was the shape of a head, like it was a human head, and it had black hair and blue eyes, and it had a rope around its neck, and it had like this real grimace on its face. And I reckon it was a, an anti-Magellan blade. And wow. so maybe he felt it because he had Portuguese blood, and you know, my, my Viking Finnish blood had like, I don't know, I'm not an enemy. <laughs> That's amazing. That's something cool to, to, to consider. I've never really considered that. And when you started looking at blades, obviously, because, I mean, I can tell, obviously, from the martial arts and everything like that, you're passionate about it. Do you like to study and research blades from different parts of the world, different, uh, like, what do you look for when you're looking for? Are you looking for a commonality or are you just looking for the beauty and difference? I'm trying to understand it. Like, again, looking at pictures is wonderful, but... Being able to handle it, I want to be, you know, one of my ambitions is to be able to put anything in my hand and go, oh, this moves like this. This is what how this works. This is what this is designed for. And to understand that just by the feel of it in my hand, that would be really super cool. Are you uh, working on anything low-key right now? Um, I teach some Zoom classes, you know, during the weirdness, of course, there's no seminars going on. Rene, our mutual friend, keeps yes. uh, saying that he's going to have me up there in Canada. We shall see if that ever happens. Well, listen, if he does that, <laughs> I will be the first one to, 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 to tell him I'll be there. 
uh, nice. It would be nice to meet you for sure. Yeah, um, no, I, I, will, I would love to learn more on, you know, the deception part because for me, I I feel like I'm I do that a lot with empty hand already, and I feel like I'm pretty good at breaking rhythm when I um, when I do spar when I do fight. Uh, I'm able. I've been told I'm able to close distance quite quickly. Uh, and deceive people that they think I'm in a range I can't hit them because I am shorter guy, but I can cover a long distance quicker. But I'd love to add more of the deception uh, to use that to my benefit for those entries. Yeah, and I think sword is a wonderful vehicle for that. You know, <clears throat> a lot of people are like, oh, well, why would I learn sword? It's such an arcane weapon. It's like, well, it teaches you things. And every weapon style teaches you things. Everything gives you an insight into some aspect. And I think one of the things that SWORD does is give you an insight into, into the deceptive arts. Like we were saying at the beginning, that you take power out of the equations, you take size out of the equation, you take the fact that you can just run in and do what you like out of the equation. And now suddenly it's like, well, okay, well, what do you have? You have you know? to be very refined. Yeah, very refined. Yeah, your angle's got to be sharper. Like I said, your timing's got to be better. Your range has got to be better. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting. It really is. So I'm going to, I, I mean, I, I I could talk to you longer, but I have to get ready to teach um, a class. I know. <laughs> uh, so, but listen, I was um, I was expecting this to be very uh, uh, good, but I, I'm picking up things that I didn't think I was going to pick up. It's been a pleasure talking to you. I Hopefully we can do this again. Yes. I feel like you got a lot more to share and I got a lot more to listen to. Um, I think you're, I think it's amazing to see, um, you know, how diverse you are. And I think it's very cool for other females in the martial arts to see how diverse and all the different aspects you're getting into. I especially love the fact that you make weapons. Like that's, that's really cool. Not only can you use it, but you make it and you write about it. So you're really covering quite a bit, you know, you're not, you're very multi-depth into what you're doing. Um, I think that's super important. It's kind of it's kind of like you can't just learn an art; you have to immerse yourself in the culture. And you're coming about it through various different artistic mediums. That I think is really fantastic. And yeah. Well, thank you. It was very nice to talk to you too. I mean, I think if you start to understand that most martial arts are invented because of disadvantage, and that's what the thinking is, and that's what everything's in there, I think women are specifically well placed. Or if you're older, or if you're injured. It's like suddenly you're like, oh shit, that's not going to work anymore. Now what? You know, and so it gives you the incentive to start looking deeper because all that deeper stuff is in there. Even in all the old traditional arts, it's in there. It's just that most people don't ever even look. Yeah, it's like you say, why? What's the blade for? What's it for? What's the why? You know, same thing yeah. with the art. What's the why? Once you understand the why, you know, it's one thing to witness something. It's another thing to understand why. It's like somebody. Why did he do that? Yeah, because he's an asshole, or because well, he just went through this, you know, traumatizing event. It kind of gives you a different yeah. perspective and a different understanding. So, yeah, definitely, whatever you do, you should be understanding the why or where the root came from for, if you want to know where you want to go with it. And that even goes to every micro level, like you know, why did they do that? Why did they try and hit you? You know, yeah. what am I? Yeah, yeah, and that's the cool thing about the self defense too is not just being aware of your potential attacker or your environment because self defense is not against a person; it's also against your environment. Yeah. Um, what am I doing that's attracting that? Which I yeah. don't think you ask that either. 
Well, I mean, I think, you know, for women, it's pretty easy. It's like, you know, you've got this big target on your head, right? And it's like, sometimes you can't get rid of that target. I mean, I know you've got to go, but it's one thing that I think is really important for women to understand. It's like, yeah, you can look like a hard target, absolutely. But some people are never going to believe that you're hard enough for them not to take on. Even for guys, right? Maybe there's three of them. They're going to take you. You know what I mean? Like, you can look big and strong. It's not like the, there's that disparity of force only for women. But it's like, okay, what do they see and how can I play that? Yeah. That's it's it. like use the fact that that's how they think you are. Use to, it against to, them. Yeah, that 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 I think is the thing. Yeah, I definitely have to have you on here again and get more into that because uh, I I find that I find that I mean that's what I looked for in martial arts is how do I even the playing odds and it's not just about physicality it's being smart and uh, using language and body mechanics. I mean, from what I understand, I can't remember what the percentage was of where I read it somewhere, but most of our interaction like our language like speaking auditorial is very minimal yeah we're not really understanding the conversations going on in the in-betweens um but yeah so where can everybody reach out to you and uh, see more of your knives i got this one side here um but yeah the patreon page is 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 where you can find me there um um the book, the Lie, the Cheat, and the Thief book, there's a video set that goes with this that you can order online, and then there's a group on Facebook you can join if you order the videos. Um, so, yeah, the Patreon, I guess. Or you can just always get me through you, I guess, if, uh, you know, people want to do that. Yeah, reach out to me. I'm my Your book's been ordered. I'm waiting for it to get here. Uh, get this one, though. Get this one, too. Get, I will get both. <laughs> and when you come to Canada, uh, you can sign it for me if you don't I mind. I will, absolutely. All right. So listen, thank you so much for, uh, for being on the parlay. I really uh, appreciate it. It was a great conversation. I look forward to doing it again. Absolutely. Take care, Mark. Nice to meet you. Okay. Nice to meet you.